The following is a teaching message from the chapel in Tiatatu. For more information about the chapel, please visit www.thechapel.org.nz. For a long time, the Apostle Paul had longed to go to Rome and beyond that to go to Spain. Many times his plans like ours had come to nothing. Various things had been done to prevent him making the journey. But now it looks like he's finally going to get there. He's heard many encouraging things about the believers in Rome. However, he's also aware that the believers in Rome have heard a lot of things about him. About what he believes and what he doesn't believe and what he teaches. And a lot of the stuff that he knows that they have heard is not true. And so as he prepares to go on this journey, Paul writes them a letter, the letter to the Romans. You know, as we've looked at other letters that Paul and others have written, usually the letters of Paul are written to address a, a problem or a conflict or, a, or, or some behavioural practice that's occurring in one of the churches that either he's founded or he's had a significant investment in. But this letter to the church at Rome is different. He's, he's wanting to lay out in an almost systematic way what he believes. And so Paul's letter to the Romans is quite different. And so as Paul, so to speak, puts pen to paper, we track through his teaching on the fallen state of humanity, the depravity of humanity, and of the impending and necessary judgment of God on mankind's sinfulness. Paul explores matters of faith, and law, and of God's undeserved favour being poured out, and on the need for mankind to respond. And then in a part of the letter that we refer to as Romans 11, 33, 36, Paul has wrestled with so much, and he's, he's wondered at the complexities of God's love and his grace and his mercy. And I just kind of picture Paul just dropping the pen, the quill, and throwing his hands up, as he declares, oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counsellor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. And over the past few weeks, especially, we too have reflected on the wonder of God's grace and his mercy. And again, in our worship this morning, we've reflected again on the wonder of God's grace and his mercy. That God who created the universe would come in human form, that he would take upon himself, that he would take within himself our sin and all its consequences. That, that the creator of the universe would come and take within himself the full weight and penalty of my sin and yours and all of humanity's. And then we looked at John 10.10 10, which says that the thief comes to steal, kill and destroy. But Jesus says, 
I have come to give you life in all its fullness. That's why I did what I did, so that you might live life to the full. And those who were here on the first Sunday of the month would hear Mark make the comment that it's not about living a life that's filled with my hopes and dreams. It's living a life that is filled with God's plans and purposes for me. And we wondered that God would pay such a high price to give us this abundance of life. He was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that has brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. And I ask the question, how much more could we want? How much more could we hope for from the creator of the universe? And then we were reminded that God wants to do and is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine. According to his power that is at work in us. And then I asked, how could we? Why would we? How dare we settle for less? than what God has for us. Life in all its fullness. And then last Sunday, as we focused in on Second Peter in chapter 1, we read that his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Can you imagine being called by the glory and goodness of God? Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature. Just take a few minutes every night this week to, to ponder that. We remember that this faith is a gift from God that comes by hearing and hearing by the word about Christ. And that this foundation should be a foundation for a living and that we should make every effort to add to our faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and self-control and perseverance and godliness and mutual affection and love. And that if we possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will, not they might, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. How much has God done that we might live life in all its fullness? And I stand here this morning and I think back over my last week and some of the moments that I've had, more than a few moments, and I'm going, really? Is that all God gave his life for? 
how much more there is for us to live in. And now this morning as we turn to Romans 12, Paul's throwing his hands up and says, who understands God? Who understands God and his love and his grace and his mercy? He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And I love the King James. It just says, it's your reasonable service. When you think of all that God has done, the only reasonable thing is to give your life back to him. When the creator of the universe gave his life for us. And so Paul continues, Therefore do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. How many times have you heard Christians going, God, I want to know your will. Have you read the book? Oh yeah, but God, I want you to tell me. No, read the book. As we spend time in his word with him, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. No shortcuts. Spend time with him. Unless we change the way we think, we will never change the way we act. And when we do change the way we think, Paul tells us, then we can test and know God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. In 2 Corinthians, Paul assures us that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. It's not a progression. But it's one thing to have wings, it's another one to fly. And we need to learn to live in all that God has given us. It's one thing to live a new life, to have a new life, an abundant life through the suffering, death and resurrection of Jesus. But it's quite another to walk in the reality of that abundance. And so Paul says, when you consider all that God has done for you, don't settle for less than all he has for you. Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. Transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will know God's good, pleasing and perfect will. Then you can offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. God has so much more for us if we will just walk in it. Ashley talked about those who are mature in the faith, have been on the journey a long time. One of the things I think, and I read something to this effect during the week, and it's so true. You know, the further we get, the further we realise how far we have to go. There was a song we used to sing when I was a kid, Growing light, my growing need revealed. The closer you get to the light, the more you realise how much darkness there still is. The more I understand about God's will and God's purposes, the more I realise how far short I come how little of what he has for me I have experienced. So stop being conformed. Stop being shaped by your old thinking. Stop allowing your life to be determined by the world's thinking. 
and allow God to change the way you think so that you begin to think like him. So that you begin to align your thoughts with his. And the best place to do that is reading his word. Now when Andy's up here occasionally he talks about this uh, daily word study that I've introduced him to and there's a few others around the place that have, have given it a go. And it's really quite simple. If you've got a phone or an iPad, you go to the uh, app store. For me, I've got the Takata uh, Bible app that's uh, in the store there on the, on the left. Uh, then in the middle, I type in D-I-S-C-I and it brings up five words around disciple and discipline. And then click on that and you get a whole list of all the verses in the Bible that contain those words. And then every day, I look at one of those verses and I write down a short little comment or a short little reflection. And the next day I do another one. And the next day I do another one. And it's not a long time required. But over a period of time I begin to understand discipline and discipleship. Andy's doing servant. He must have done a, a shorter range of words than me. It took me about an 18 months or two years to get through serve and serving and service. But I learned so many different dynamics. I looked at seasons, I've looked at fire, I've looked at wind. I've looked at so many things and give you an overview of what God has to say and you begin to shift your thinking. The other way I would highly recommend, and it's helped shape my thinking, and I know it's why this process works for Andy, because he was in the Discovery Bible Study group with me. The Discovery Bible Study. It centers on four questions. What does this tell us about God? So you read the passage, and preferably you read it out loud, because faith comes by hearing. What does this tell me about God? What does it tell us about people? Is there an example to follow, and is there a command to obey? Those are the four key questions, but there are more. There's one that says, if this is true, what will I do differently this week? God says, taste and see that the Lord is good. What will I do differently if this is true? And of course, that's got a, a follow-up question which actually comes early because it's next time you get together or next time you come to this moment, you go, how did I get on with my I will statement from last time? You know, it's one thing to say, I'm going to do this. It's quite another one to do it. And sometimes the best way to make sure you do it is to know that when you get together with someone next week, they're going to go, how did you get on? It's not a twisting arm up the back, grabbing them by the collar accountability, but it is an accountability. It's one thing to do it, to say you're going to do it, it's another one to do it. And then there are a couple of other really important questions. What's going well for you? What are you struggling with? So before you come to the Word, come to the Father. When you get together, or even when you're just stopping by yourself, what's going well in my life right now? God, I just want to praise you for all of the good things in my life right now. And what am I struggling with right now? Well, God, I just want to bring this to you. And if you're in a group of four or five and you're praying for one another, this is the opportunity you're inviting Jesus into the situation. And where this is being used to multiply disciples in places like India and the Middle East, this is where God moves in power and shows who he is. Oh, there's one other little question that comes at the end. 
And he says, who can I share this with? Because it's not enough to hear. It's about passing it on. The things that we hear from God, the things that we receive from God, they're for us, but they're also for us to pass on. As the phrase is often to used, we have been blessed to be a blessing. We receive in order to give, and it's in giving that we receive. So Paul says, let me explain what that looks like. For by the grace given me, Paul says, I say to every one of you, this continues on from what we were just reading in Romans 12 a few moments ago, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each one of us has one, is one for sorry, just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. And I would say Paul's implication is there, and do so in proportion to the faith that you have. And that's not an exclusive and exhaustive list. If you want to talk about what they talk about as gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now, I often talk about the fact that I don't like hearing God through filters. When it comes to the spiritual gifts, I don't think I've come across any, no, I don't think I've come across any teaching in my time as a pastor that has more about what we want to say about the Word than what the Word actually says. Because when it comes to spiritual gifts, we want to dissect them down and group them up. And, and it's like, that's not how God does it. It's not how Paul does it. Paul gives a list of them here. And there's quite a mix. And in 1 Corinthians 12, there's a few more. And in Ephesians, there are a few more. Let's just see that God has equipped us in various ways, by grace, through faith, to serve him. And that is part of the fullness of life that he came to give. Let's not restrict that. Let's not minimise that. See, one of the divisions is often these spectacular gifts, the sign gifts, and then there's the, the service gifts. But the problem is being, when I read the list, they tend to get kind of mixed up. Because I think when you do them in Jesus' name, they are all signs, they are all spectacular. Because they are empowered by the same Holy Spirit that is at work within us. And I love that phrase, to think of yourself with sober judgment. And I've often thought, what is sober judgment? You know the best thing I've ever been able to figure? It's saying, God, how do you think about me? What does he say about me? So I read the word saying, God, what do you say about me? If you say it about me, then it's probably true. In fact, it's certainly true. 
And so I'm going to stop believing what others would say about me. I'm going to stop believing what the world would say about me. I'm going to stop believing what I say about me. And I'm going to start believing what God says about me. Sober judgment. With the faith that God has distributed to each of you. And if it's in accordance with faith, it means I've got to keep hearing God speak through his word by his spirit, and through the body of Christ that he has surrounded us with. Just imagine if each one of us, each day, each week, each month, just a little bit more of what God's plans and purposes are for us. If every day, if every week, if every month, each one of us discovered a little bit more of what God wants for us. If we gained a little bit more faith by listening to him, and if we allowed that faith to work so that we changed what we did, do you kind of get the feeling that a month or two and a year or two from now, nobody's going to recognize this place? If each of us were to allow God to transform us through the renewing of our minds, changing the way we think, not living according to the knowledge we have, the things that we know, not thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought, not overly relying on our own opinions and our own knowledge, but building instead on that foundation of faith, thinking with sober judgment, what does God say about me? What does God want to do in me and through me. When he came, created the universe, took my sin upon himself, placed within me his great power, what is it that he wanted me to do? How is it that he wanted me to live? Just, just imagine if each of us learnt that a little more each day. According to his word, empowered by his spirit, who we're told by God is at work within us. Now, I start to do some of this and my mind is blown. This is the power of the universe, the power that spoke the universe into being is within me and God wants to work through me and I am mind blown and it's like I can't take all of that on board. And so a couple of weeks ago I made a suggestion. I wonder if anyone caught it. More importantly, I wonder if anyone did anything about it. I said, if there is a particular area of your life right now where you believe God wants to do abundantly more, is there an area of your life right now where you need God to do abundantly more? Or is there an area in your life where the thief who comes to steal, kill and destroy has been stealing your stuff, has been robbing you of the things that God would have for you? Just pick one area. And maybe name it. Give it a name. And then look in a Bible app and start to look through everything God has to say about that thing. 
I talked about my challenge of getting past my intellect and, and, and just relying on faith. There's one area of faith that I've never really struggled with, and that's around finances. And that's because one thing my dad had was incredible faith in God's provision, his ability to provide. And so I grew up thinking that was normal until I got married and I started to write a check out for a tenth of my income. Margaret goes, what are you doing? I'm tithing. She says, what do you mean? Well, you write out a you know, tenth of my income. And I, I, she says, tell me about it. She didn't know whether her parents ever did that. But my mum and dad, and I've said it before, my dad, mum would get out the household accounts and she'd show me the first column is where the tithe is. Because it's the first column, it belongs to God first. But my dad always said it's actually not about the 10%, it's the 90% because the 90% is also his. And so I take responsibility before God. And so when I began to discover some of these principles of financial freedom, there's a little booklet out there, I'm ticking most of them off and going, I know that, I know that. But then there were a couple of things I discovered. One was there's a verse in the Old Testament that says, don't say I'll give it to you tomorrow if you've got it with you today. And so we have a policy as a church that when a bill comes in, we pay it as soon as possible. We have a policy as a family that as soon as the bill comes in, we pay it as soon as we can. Why? Well, because the Bible says so. And one very practical outcome is, how many of you have ever worried about a bill that you've paid? It's so freeing. And God has taught me time and time again. And so I need to take those lessons from the faith that he has given me through my father and through his word about my finances and I need to start applying that same principle and that same faith in other areas of my life where I desperately struggle. But just one area. What do you need from God? What does God need from you? And what's the enemy taking from you right now? Name it. Talk to God about it. Every day listen and learn to what God is saying about your need or the thing that he's calling you to. Listen to his spirit. And every day choose how you will respond to what you believe God is saying. And so this morning... I want to leave you with two questions. What do you need from God? Just remembering his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him. I look down there, there's Bill, and he'll be going, yep, got all we need. It's signed, sealed, and delivered. We've just got to take hold of it. We've just got to learn to walk in it. And what is God asking from you are you prepared to reach out for it take hold of it you may get your answer in an instant but there may be a pathway of discovery of appropriation ahead of you where you search the scriptures you read what God says you hear what God says you learn to live by what God says 
But just like when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, salvation is yours in that moment. We learn to walk in it, but it's yours in that moment. All of these things that we need are ours already. We've just got to take hold of them and learn to walk in them because his divine power has already given us everything we need. God bless you. Thank you for listening to this message from the chapel in Teatitu. For more information about the chapel, please visit www.thechapel.org.nz or email info at thechapel.org.nz.